Hi, I'm Debbie Georgettis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about President Trump in Chicago discussing Jesse Smollett and the police chief. The Covington versus Washington Post lawsuit is on again. The left's dangerous lies about communism and Islamization or Islamophobia in America. And finally, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. On today's First Five, I want to talk about a, a speech that was given by President Trump yesterday in Chicago. He addressed a meeting, the International Association of Chiefs of Police. So these are Chiefs of police all gathered together in Chicago. Uh, I'm gonna start with a short clip. We have two clips from this meeting. I wanna start with the one, the very wonderful Derek filling in for the very wonderful Matt who's on vacation. But Derek, I wanna start with the one that is President Trump making a comment about Jesse Smollett. Uh, and that's, I believe, the clip one. Then you have the case of this wise guy, Jesse Smollett, who beat up himself. And he said, MAGA country did it, MAGA country. Okay, he said, MAGA, that's a hate crime. That's a hate crime. And it's a scam. It's a real big scam, just like the impeachment of your president is a scam. Okay. I want to be sure, I'm glad Derek uh, cut it where he did. I want to be sure to have you hear the audience cheering. This is a one reason that Trump supporters just love and appreciate President Trump. He's there talking to this meeting. These are law enforcement officers, chiefs of police in a very large meeting in Chicago. And he managed in the context of talking about the Jesse Smollett case, which you likely recall is the actor, or I guess now former actor, who perpetrated a hoax on the people of Chicago, on the police department of Chicago, on the American people, pretending and completely fabricating that he was a victim of a, a late at night, like two or three in the morning attack in the middle of some neighborhood in Chicago where he claimed people wearing MAGA hats or yelling MAGA or something about Trump beat him up and taunted him because he, this actor, Jesse Smollett, is gay and black. Turned out he perpetrated a hoax. He did the whole thing himself. Still unclear whether there's going to be any liability for him for doing this, but in any case, uh, you know, this was made national scenes. It was to perpetuate the left-wing picture of America, of President Trump, that this is a guy who's, you know, just developing hatred in this country, feeding hate, he's creating hate. Look what happens, this poor little innocent actor completely concocted the story and lied and lied and lied and lied and lied to the police, to the American people on camera when he gave statements, did not want to concede that he made the whole thing up. So the reason I thought it was great that President Trump brought up number one is the police were the ones who were really harmed by this. The police dedicated 
days and days and hours and hours and dozens of officers to try to find the evil people who committed this act, this attack on Jesse Smollett. As it turned out, his even appearance of having been beaten was because he, he Smollett, paid two people he worked with who came forward and told the police the story, paid them to pretend to beat him up. So, okay, we got Smollett. I think Trump brought up in part to say, you know, remember what this left wing world did to you, police officers. But then the same speech to throw in his point about that, just like the Smollett thing was a hoax, so is this entire impeachment. I'm sure there are political advisors, political consultants who would tell President Trump, do not talk about the impeachment effort. Keep, you know, keep quiet. Stick to the agenda. You're supposed to be there talking about the greatness of the police, the importance of supporting the police. Stick with that agenda. But whether it was in his script or he just threw it in, he was not going to miss an opportunity to point out that just as the Jesse Smollett thing was a hoax, so is this impeachment inquiry. That is, by the way, Nancy Pelosi's taking it to the floor of the Senate or the House on Thursday not to launch an official impeachment investigation, but simply to launch, get a vote in favor of the procedures for this non-constitutional process called impeachment inquiry. You realize, of course, if she actually launched the real impeachment process and held a vote to begin impeachment, she would have to then give rights to the president, treat him like an American citizen entitled to due process rights. She doesn't want to do that. She wants to keep this going after Trump in a, in a vehicle, in a strategic way that allows her to play the case out in the media, allows the Democrats who are in cahoots with her to try the case in the media, giving President Trump and his team absolutely no ability to cross-examine witnesses, examine documents, present what they have to say, no ability to even exercise the most basic of due process rights. Trump is right to be frustrated, angry, outraged, whatever word you'd use, he's right to be calling this out. I love that he threw it in at this speech in Chicago for the police officers. The second little clip we have of President Trump has to do with the absence that day. This is, again, the meeting of the International Association of Chiefs of Police being held in Chicago and the, the top figure in the Chicago Police Department, Eddie Johnson, the police superintendent, was not there. Here's what President Trump had to say about that. But there is one person that's not here today. We're in Chicago. I said, where is he? I want to talk to him. In fact, more than anyone else, this person should be here because maybe he could learn something. And that's the superintendent of Chicago police. Eddie Johnson. A few days ago, Johnson said, quote, the values of the people of Chicago are more important than anything President Trump would have to say. I don't think so. Because that's a very insulting statement. After all I've done for the police, and I've done more than any other president's ever done for the police. Over a hundred years, we can prove it, but probably from the beginning. And here's a man that could not bother to show up for a meeting of police chiefs, most respected people in the country, in his hometown, and with the President of the United States. The reason I wanted to play that 
is, is a really, it's actually a bit more profound than it might sound. Trump is obviously scolding the superintendent of police in Chicago, Eddie Johnson, who could not be bothered to show up at President Trump's speech. To be really clear what Eddie Johnson said, the reason he was not going to be there, his language, he said he wasn't um, going to show up because he said he will not in good conscience stand by while, and then the relevant portion is, Chicago is held hostage because of our views on new Americans. Let me make this clear. He's complaining that the White House, that, that the federal government is withholding funds from Chicago because they are a sanctuary city. He, this is a black police chief in a city filled with crime, a city that has an, oh, it's an enormous problem with gun crime and regularly breaks murder records over the weekends and over the weeks, more and more innocent citizens murdered. This is a city filled with crime, filled with violence, not making much progress in even slightly reducing it. And he's complaining that he can't show up at this meeting of chiefs of police to hear the president of the United States because he's offended that President Trump will not fund a sanctuary city. He ought to be part of the team saying, I want to be with the American people. I want to stand up for the country of America. I think the sanctuary city stuff is crazy. It's ridiculous. It's irresponsible. That is what this chief of police should have said. Instead, he decided to boycott Trump. Last point on this story, the Chicago Police Union Board held a vote. Chicago, this is, so this is their boss they're talking about. The Chicago Police Union Board voted, gave a vote of no confidence of the superintendent, Eddie Johnson, specifically because he skipped Trump's speech. I'm telling you folks, in America, you have plenty of people who think that it is cool and trendy to, to fight everything that President Trump does, to stand up for sanctuary cities, which are basically little, little islands of lawlessness. And this guy, Eddie Johnson, I think probably thought he was going to score some points, show how cool he was. He's, he's one of the people, he's woke, he gets it. He's going to fight President Trump. He's going to ignore President Trump uh, in Chicago and actually his own police board. The, again, the Chicago Police Union Board voted him no confidence. You heard the cheering in that audience when he said, he, the president, said that the impeachment was another hoax, just like Jesse Smollett. I'll close out the first five by saying this. In the media, in academia, in the left, it is very, very trendy to mock President Trump, to belittle him, to fight everything he does, to show your disdain for the president a variety of ways. I'm telling you, the American people are not with the media, the leftists, the academia, the Hollywood types that simply attack Trump at every turn. Many Americans, including these salt of the earth, chiefs of police, thrilled to hear President Trump speak, thrilled to be there, embarrassed that their own boss would not show up. I'm telling you, Heartland America is right with President Trump and what he's doing to try to make America great again. And that, my friends, is today's first five. 
Next story I want to hit very briefly. You know, there was a news about the, uh, you recall likely in January of this year, there was a right to life protest in Washington, D.C. And at that protest, there was a, a bit of a dispute between some students from a Catholic school in Kentucky, uh, which was called Covington Catholic. And those students were up in Washington, a lot of them wearing MAGA hats, showing up in Washington to support right to life. As the day was closing down at the Lincoln Memorial, while these students are waiting for the bus to pick them up, there was a group uh, of students or a group of protesters there um, who were the, they, the name, I never even heard this group before, the Black Hebrew Israelites. Black Hebrew Israelites were taunting and yelling at this, this group of students who had taken a bus from Kentucky to come and stand up for pro-life. They're, they're Catholic students, stand for pro-life. These, this black Hebrew Israelite group was taunting them. The students, in an effort to ignore them or drown them out, are chanting school cheers in response. And then a Native American man who is a perpetual protester, he's kind of a lifetime protester on behalf of Native Americans, named Nathan Phillips, came up to this one student, this student whose name is Sandman, Nick Sandman, came up to him, was beating his drum in his face. So Nick Sandman, you get there was a picture became famous on news of Nick Sandman standing there mouth shut smiling as this guy is standing there with a, a Native American guy Nathan Phillips shows up with his drum banging on his drum right in Nick Sandman, Sandman's face stories were all over the internet all over every sort of mainstream media maligning this group of kids from Covington Catholic and specifically and exactly maligning this Nick Sandman kid who was described as smug, described as having made uh, inappropriate remarks, racist, uh, intolerant remarks. And he was accused of taunting these other groups, especially the Native American guy. Nick Sandman did no such thing. However, these this story got legs, it got oxygen because the American left is determined to paint any young people who might actually stand up for President Trump, stand up for the pro-life cause, stand up in Washington, be willing to wear a MAGA hat and be in public. This student, Nick Simmons, because his face was what became famous in the story and the picture of him, this student was covered all over national news by every single outlet imaginable. Okay, not every single, many, many outlets characterized as the way the left wants to characterize pro-life people as belligerent, rude, confrontational, uh, crass, you know, just behaving badly. So he was, he was described as behaving badly uh, in a variety of ways. And then finally, he, his family, including, by the way, by his own, when he went back home to Kentucky, the Catholic diocese under which his particular school is the Catholic Diocese put out a statement condemning his behavior and, and apologizing for his behavior. But the Catholic Diocese had the integrity once a full set of facts came out and a longer video came out and it became clear as day that Nick Salmon didn't do any of those things, that he was actually standing there not speaking, just smiling, probably half of embarrassment and, couldn't, and awkwardness, couldn't figure out what to do. And so that what actually happened was the aggressors were this group, the black Hebrew Israelites, along with a Native American, Nick hadn't done anything wrong. Nick's family finally hired attorneys and they sued the, the uh, news outlets that kept painting him in such a bad light. So uh, Nick Sandman went forward. You had actually a court um, in the Fourth Circuit, I think it was, yeah, the Fourth Circuit, 
had ruled, uh, no, I'm sorry, this is in Kentucky. This is the Eastern District of Kentucky. A judge named Judge William Bertelsman. William Bertelsman had ruled, uh, he was a judge at the U.S. District Court, Eastern District of Kentucky. He was going to throw out this case and say Nick Salmon had no basis to sue, that he could not pursue a lawsuit against the Washington Post. So the case is going to be thrown out. And then this judge, who, by the way, was appointed by Carter, President Carter, appointed way back then, he's sitting there in this uh, this uh, federal district court, U.S. District Court, Eastern District of Kentucky, reversed his ruling and said, as a matter of fact, that this Nick Salmon can go forward in this lawsuit, file, suing Washington Post. Now, obviously, the family, because they couldn't get, you know, they, they sued for a lot of money. I think it was like $250 million or $275 million, sued for a lot of money. But the big news of today is that this judge said, or I guess he ruled yesterday, said actually he can go forward with this lawsuit. The reason I want to talk about on the show today is there's a lot of talk about whether the media in this country ought to have some of the laws changed. There are laws to change because the media is just simply maligning conservatives all the time, lying about them, misrepresenting them. President Trump regularly speaks about that, talks about we got to change the libel laws in this country because there's too much dishonesty. For, folks, I'm the first to tell you, I spend, I swear, a ton of my time on, on many, many shows over five years talking about egregious examples of the media in this country simply maligning conservatism, conservatives, people who hold those views, Trump supporters, maligning conservatism, lying about President Trump, lying about conservatives. I am the first to call it out and I will do it my whole life. The media truly is in the in the tank, in bed with the American left. When I say the Democrat media mob, I really do mean the radical left that controls the Democrat Party, controls the media. Many media outlets in this country will not tell you the truth about many serious, important issues. But I want to raise this case to say we need to be very, very careful in advocacy on the conservative side to start saying, yeah, we want to change the libel laws. We want to make the media responsible. They're going to have to own up and answer for their, dis their dishonesty. There are many, there is a First Amendment. We all know there's a freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Many Supreme Court precedents and other appellate court precedents define what exactly can be when a, a media outlet like Washington Post or New York Times or any, any media outlet can actually be held liable for defamation. That's what this kid sued for. Nick Salmon and his family sued for defamation. He was wrongly depicted in these stories. I want to say this judge is right that it was a brilliant and good thing to reinstate this case, to let Nick Salmon pursue his case for defamation. But the reason it's right is because Nick Salmon is not a public figure. Several factors make this a good decision. He's not a public figure. The law is different. If you're a public figure, if you're a candidate or an elected official or somebody else who has intentionally thrust themselves into the limelight in this country, 
then there is a standard, a higher standard you have to show before you can sue a media outlet like the Washington Post and claim you were defamed. But this kid, Nick Salmon, he's a high school student. He's not a public figure. He didn't seek fame. He didn't seek to be written about. He went to Washington to stand up for the pro-life view. So he's not a public figure. Second factor in this case is that the Washington Post, once they got information about the truth of the case, that in fact this kid did not behave aggressively. He was not the cause of the problem. He didn't create the altercation. He did not engage in behavior that was uh, accusatory, loud, taunting, racist. He didn't do any of those things. He was a completely innocent kid just standing there. The Washington Post did not have the integrity, did not have the moral fiber to stand up and say, actually, you know what? We were wrong on this one. They wouldn't do it. They issued some mealy mouth, you know, half-baked kind of not even an apology, kind of a half-baked, you know, mumble-mouth, mealy-mouth, well, maybe a few more factors might have been in present, blah, blah, blah. They would not stand up and, and, and speak the truth. So given this, those facts in this case, this is a great idea. This is a great outcome to have this judge say, you know, he's not a public figure. The Washington Post refused to retract the story when they, and, or apologize when they could clearly see they had just been wrong in what they reported. So it's a really, really good thing to have this Salmon case get to go forward. But the people on the right who argue for the idea that we have to have some adjustment in our, in our libel law, that we have to have the media more accountable for what they say, is just a dang slippery slope. I'm not saying there couldn't be some changes in federal law. I'm not saying you couldn't have some cases come out from the Supreme Court to redefine or, or clarify or in some way change the defamation standards in uh, when you're suing a media outlet, especially when you're a public figure. But you gotta be really, really careful with that. Really careful because sometimes the media outlet being attacked is going to be a conservative outlet, a conservative outlet who's trying to say, for example, Nancy Pelosi is the worst speaker of the house since time began. Or as I've said in my show many times, the house is not moving toward impeachment of President Trump because of the conversation Trump had with Zelensky on the phone in July of this year. They're moving to impeach him because they want him removed because they don't think he should be entitled to be your president. That obviously is opinion. But if you're going to, if we're going to, to tamper with, if we're going to adjust what we protect as free speech in this country, what we protect as freedom of the press and freedom of speech, but be very, very, very careful. I've read some ideas people are floating that sound a little too extreme, a little too, they, they sound unwise, recognizing that whatever standard you set, because you want to um, help people attack the Washington Post because they're radical leftists, that same standard is going to be used to attack conservatives who say things that they don't have absolute factual, you know, written proof, signed in blood. I don't have Nancy Pelosi's statement, you know, signed in blood saying that, yes, she's trying to impeach President Trump because she just can't stand him being there and she doesn't think he should have been elected and she really wanted Hillary and she wants any reason to get him out of office. I believe that to be the case and so I will say it and I'll say it again. I'll say it many times on this show, but 
we have to be really careful. Don't get too excited on the conservative side about changing impeachment, sta- changing defamation standards, changing the protections of the First Amendment, because whatever you change, it very well may come back to bite the conservative side when we're trying to get our, you know, our word out on the conservative side, which, by the way, when you have the American left, the Democrat media mob with all the power of the Washington Post and New York Times, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, pretty much every big news outlet is leftist. If you have all those people speaking up as they do, the temptation is just to silence them and shut them down. But there are conservative outlets. The answer, instead of endangering free speech or free press, the answer is for the American people to turn to the better news outlets, the more honest news outlets. Forget mainstream media. They lie. They misrepresent. They are leftists. They are in the tank for the Democrat Party. Instead of regulating them to too great a degree that may end up hurting conservatives, go to a different channel. Listen to this show every day. Find conservative websites. Find conservative commentators. Find conservative bloggers. Find conservative sources and turn to them rather than threaten the First Amendment. Okay, that's enough on that. I want to hit a quick story. Um, I mentioned at the start of the show the other story I wanted to hit, uh, which is about the less dangerous lies. I told you in the show yesterday, there was a great piece that was in, this is a quick segment, but a really important one. There was a great piece I mentioned. It was on American Thinker. So if you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. On the homepage, across the top, it says shows. It's like the second one in. You know, the drop down says list of links. You can find this article, I think, on yesterday's show. It was called, the article is uh, from American Thinker. It's just called In the Age of Leftism. It is a brilliant list of all the ways in which the left not just lies to America, but they plant the seeds of things that are completely false, completely absurd, completely dishonest, but they push and push and push and push these lies. And the danger of the left doing this is that some people who are not well enough informed, not tuned in, they actually think these lies are true. It is the danger, for example, of having a presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders, and his cohorts and the le- and radical leftist America, the Democrat Socialists of America, getting headlines, getting attention with the argument that socialism is a good thing. Socialism helps people. Socialism is about sharing. Socialism, he, he, Sanders, and the Democrat Socialists of America and all sorts of radical leftists in this country plant not just lies in the minds of the American people that socialism ever has worked, ever could be good, has ever helped anyone, which it never has, but they also plant the seeds that the reason you in your life, don't have the money you need, the job you need, the home you need, the whatever the assets you need, the reason you don't have them is because mean people in corporations and other wealthy people in this country have what you deserve to have. Their message is a message of planting the seeds of envy, of disdain for the more successful, of division in this country. It is just an evil, evil ideology. Socialism does not, should not have any footing in America, but 
because Bernie Sanders sells it, because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez sells it, because Democrat Socialists of America sell it. We have things like socialism becoming mainstreamish, becoming okayish. So we have the story on this, again, this list of lies, the left list of lies, just to really, you really enjoy it and they should use this. It's called In the Age of Leftism. But one thing that they, this author mentions is socialism is a failed and murderous, murderous ideology. It's at the, and yet it's at the forefront of American politics. Folks, this is about like having the debate in 2019 in this country whether we should embrace socialism is about as crazy as having the debate whether we should embrace slavery. It is that evil, that wrong, that worthless, and yet we're having a discussion. On top of that in this country, again on the list, you had two different cities in America in cooperative celebration with the Chinese Communist Party's recent anniversary. They had a big anniversary uh, celebration in, Ch in Communist China. I don't know what, 70 or 75 years. They had a, I think 75 years. They had a massive celebration, of course, orchestrated, dictated, mandated, and arm-twisted by the communist government. So people showed up at celebrations, celebrations because otherwise you might be in trouble. So communist China has their celebration. Two cities in America, and probably more, but two cities we know of in America actually flew the communist flag over their city government as a way of celebrating and showing their uh, inclusivity, inclusivity, their, you know, their uh, locking elbows with the communists in China, showing how we really understand and communism is a great thing. We're so proud to celebrate with you. 75 years of murderous repression in China and communism. So those two cities were Boston and Philadelphia actually hoisted the communist flag over City Hall to show our connection and love of communism, which gets around to, I always say the, the left's lies matter. It matters when the left plants seeds like this because in a recent poll in the United States of America, a poll of millennials, 2,100 people, polling on U.S. attitudes towards, towards socialism, communism, and collectivism. Polled 2,100 people, 16 years of age or older. Okay, I'm gonna tell you the first thing is one third, one third of these millennials see communism as favorable. I mean, you could, you could scream. One third of millennials see communism as favorable. The ideology has murdered more people in world history than Hitler, than, I, I mean, it is the most monstrous evil. And yet, because you have the left pushing and pushing and pushing in socialism, you have one third of millennials thinking, hey, communism is a pretty swell idea. A few other things. Um, they had... Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, you're, you're kind of speechless. You had, for example, uh, they had millennials polled also said they consider President Donald Trump the biggest threat to world peace, rating Trump as more dangerous to the world peace, to world peace than Vladimir Putin, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, 
or Chinese President Xi Jinping. These young people are so duped by the lies of the left, they actually think President Trump, who's bringing freedom and protecting people in this world, he's a more danger, he's a bigger danger to the world than North Korea, China, or the, um, the Russian President Putin. I mean, I could go on and on with things in the study. I'm getting at, when you hear that the left spreads these lies, like communism is a swell thing, that socialism is really about sharing, that you know we, we ought to really be open to socialism as, as a moderate alternative, as a you know, kind of a cool idea, we ought to think about it some more. Recognize every time these ideas are tolerated, whether they're tolerated in your elementary school and the school curriculum in your, in your kids' school from K through 12, tolerated in college campuses, tolerated it is encouraged on college campuses, it is fed on college campuses by left-wing professors, there's a consequence. There's a consequence to America. These young people would actually be open to voting for communism. And the Communist Party, as you well know, because we've talked about it on the show before, the Communist Party, as you well know, has talked about how they don't really have to push communism, they just have to push today's Democrat Party. Because the Democrat Party is so far down the path of socialism that they're already halfway there to communism anyway. These ideas have consequences. These conversations, these institutions in our country that tolerate socialism as a reasonable consideration, something to be talked about, kind of like freedom and capitalism only as socialism. These young people have no earthly clue what they're talking about. They've grown up in a country, America, which is blessed with the virtues of prosperity, abundance, freedom, civil society, open society, freedom of speech and religion and press and everything they want, that it is not in their worldview to even picture, they can't even begin to picture what life would be like if socialism actually ruled this country. Just socialism actually ruled this country. If the Green New Deal actually became law, they have no idea. They still think they would be sitting in their Starbucks, sipping on a you know latte with all sorts of fancy descriptors to it, fancy drinks, using their electronic devices with freedom to say anything they want, freedom to rant, to rant and rave about the president, freedom to speak at whatever they want. And they would go to the grocery store and the, and the shelves would be full. Then they go to the mall or their online shopping spot and there would be thousands of choices of every conceivable style of clothing and shoes and furniture and everything they want, they can't envision the poverty socialism creates because they've never lived it. And all they think about it is what these idiotic, morally depraved teachers and university professors have taught them. So they think socialism is okay. That's why they think it's okay. And the left should be held accountable for what these people think. The left has planted these seeds of socialism being about sharing, of healthcare being free and should be free for everyone, and college education should be free, and everything you need should be free. All ideas tied to socialism, because if you just give the left the power to collect the wealth in this country, they'll make everything fair. And these young people actually, they have no basis to weed out, no basis to figure out this has nothing to do with reality. Bernie Sanders should be a laughingstock. 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez should be, should go back to bartending, should be the subject of ridicule by everyone, not just the conservatives who keep speaking up. The Democrat Socialists of America should be shipped off to Venezuela for a year and then come back and tell us what they think about socialism. They live in a fantasy world, which is orchestrated and enabled by the American left that works all day long to delude these people into thinking socialism has ever worked or could ever work anywhere. The left's lies hurt America. Last topic for today, because I'm getting, <laughs> and if you think I was wound up about that one, last topic for today, I want to talk about Islamization and Islamophobia. We've talked about Islamization before, and this is a basic idea that Islam, the, the religion Islam, I am not talking about every single Muslim, the religion Islam in the core of its teachings from the time of its founding is a conquest ideology. Islam teaches in the Quran, in the example of Muhammad's life, in the writings of the Hadith, filled, Islam is filled with the idea that the very purpose of the religion is to force the world into submission to it. The duty of a devout Muslim is to spread Islam by jihad, whether it is violent jihad or cultural jihad or civilizational jihad, which are kind of the same thing. But the idea, the focus, the meaning of life in Islam is for the devout Muslims in this world to push Islam so that the entire world is brought into submission to Islam under its law, Sharia, enforced by the one world government, the caliphate. This is the purpose of Islam. It has always been. Since the founding, it is what Muhammad said it was, it's what all the documents and all the authorities you ever can go to say it is. It is about enforcing, forcing Islam to be the one religion of the world and Islam encourages people, its followers, to engage in the forced conversion of every other person to into submission to Islam. So Islamization happening in America, I want to mention three quick stories and urge you to think about how different America would be. We're talking about in the last segment how different America would be if socialism became the law, the New Green Deal became the law, now we'll talk about what happened if Islamization succeeded. Let me start with, there was a case that made its way all the way almost to the Supreme Court. It was brought up, uh, raised at the Supreme Court. Uh, writ of certiorari was denied. But I want to tell you about this case. There's a girl in, Hood, in uh, Charles County, Maryland, a girl named Kalia Wood. She's in public school, and in her public school class, they were doing a segment on the Muslim world. They... In this segment, the school gave her an assignment to write out the Shahada. The Shahada is the statement of conversion to Islam. It is what, when Muhammad went murderously around that part of the world and forced Jews and all sorts of other communities into submission to Islam, the way to escape being killed by Muhammad or his various followers of the centuries was to recite the Shahada, to say that Islam is the only true faith, Allah is the only true God, and Muhammad is one true messenger, or words to that effect. I didn't want to say it, but that's what the idea of it was. The Shahada is a very specific prayer in Islam, a, a, conver a conversion statement. It's what still today people 
recite when they are converting to Islam. So this girl, this American girl who's Christian, is asked to write out in her public school as her assignment to write out the Shahada. She's saying, I don't want to. Her parents saying, we don't want her to do this. This is not right. You don't ask any other students to write, or you don't ask students to write out the conversion, you know, the, the prayer of commitment or the statement of uh, adopting the Christian faith. But this was the assignment to write the Shahada. She, Kalea Wood, her family sues. They ended up in the Fourth Circuit, the Federal Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, Wood versus Arnold, and the court just said, well, we, golly gee willikers, we can't talk about what schools can do. In fact, the court said, the Fourth Circuit said, school authorities, not the courts, are charged with the responsibility of deciding what speech is appropriate in the classroom. This is a three-judge panel in February of this year, the Fourth Circuit. So the family took it to the Supreme Court to say, can you please agree, Supreme Court, that their daughter does not have to be indoctrinated into Islam as a condition of attending public school. And October 15th, on October 15th this year, the Supreme Court declined to take the case. When they do that, it leaves the Fourth Circuit, the lower court's ruling in place. So the Fourth Circuit found for the school, said the girl can't be complaining about having to write out the Shahada. Contrast that, by the way, with the many cases in which the courts are perfectly comfortable telling, for example, the high school coach in California, you can't kneel after the game is over and say a quiet private prayer. That violates the establishment of religion clause. That violates the First Amendment. The various cases courts have taken, they say you can't have a prayer before a city council meeting. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of cases in which courts in this country have cracked down on Christianity and tried to say there's just an absolute wall of separation, no expression of faith, no prayer in public school, no prayer at graduation, no prayer at football games. I mean, the courts have been perfectly comfortable shutting down any expression of Christian faith. But a girl challenging, I don't want to write the Shahada, I don't want to be indoctrinated into Islam in public school, Fourth Circuit says too bad, Supreme Court can't be bothered. Not a good an example. This is an example of Islamization, a really bad example for America. Second uh, example I want to talk about of Islamization of America. You know, we recently had the big discussion about whether or not America should have stayed in northern Syria when we had the Turks were going to be invading uh, down in north, northern uh, Syria to fight the Kurds. And the Kurds have been our allies in our battles against ISIS. So many Americans were upset that there was a, you know, an unwillingness, it seemed at the time, an unwillingness of President Trump to keep the American forces in place to help the Kurds fight against the Turks. So everyone recognizes in this example that I'm telling you that Erdogan, the leader of Turkey, Erdogan is a jihadist. He's not just a president of a country who happens to be Muslim. He has made many statements. He is a jihadist. He agrees with the idea of Islam, that Islam is, the purpose of Islam's existence is to force the world, everyone, into submission to Islam. Erdogan has talked about it. Erdogan has identified groups he can't wait to suppress, he can't wait to force into Islam. So Erdogan, we see this danger, we saw it in northern Syria, with Erdogan showing up to fight the, and to get after the Kurds. However, 
Why isn't there the protest? You heard from the, you heard many leftists in this country, many in Washington saying, this is terrible. We didn't stand with the Kurds. Look how rotten Erdogan is. He's going to kill them. He's a terrible guy. Erdogan is a terrible guy. Erdogan is funding mosques, Muslim Brotherhood mosques in America. Let that sink in. The ideology of Islam, we just talked about, the conquest ideology, ideology of Islam, supported by the Muslim Brotherhood, who itself, which itself, that organization, agrees its purpose is to support jihad for the purpose of spreading Islam through enforcing submission to Islam. That's the, the purpose of the Muslim Brotherhood. Erdogan is now the de facto head of the Muslim Brotherhood. Erdogan is a jihadist. Erdogan is funding mosques in America. All these people so concerned about pulling U.S. troops back in, the, in northern Syria ought to be talking about why in the world is Erdogan even allowed to fund any mosques of any kind in America? Why is he even allowed to do that? There were speeches. Erdogan came and gave a huge speech at the opening of this Dianet Center of America, DCA, largest mosque in northern America, funded by Erdogan to the tune of $100 million. And this is not the only one. The point is, Erdogan uses their money, their his country's money, Turkey's money, to fund Muslim Brotherhood-friendly mosques in America, which are in turn teaching all the Muslims who attend that mosque, attend those Islamic centers, attend the schools, Islamic schools they no, no doubt fund, all those people are getting the message that Erdogan wants them to get. That the duty of a devout Muslim is to engage in jihad for the purpose of forcing the world into submission to Islam under Sharia. He's funding those centers here, and we're sitting on our hands thinking, well, what can we do about that? How about, how about a law that says no foreign money into any American religious institution? Okay, don't even pick just on the Muslims. Any institution. The idea that we're just sitting on our hands watching this Islamization of America, watching this funding of Muslim Brotherhood mosques, and we can't think of anything we can do about it. This must, this is Islamization of America. One other quick story happening in Minnesota. And, you know, I always tell you people, my friends, I love Minnesota. I've been there dozens of times. I, my parent, my dad grew up there. My mom lived there. We have you know, I've been there many, many times. It is actually a lovely, beautiful state. It is, however, at this point, has a massive population of Somalians, Somalian Muslims, who came to America in our ridiculous refugee policies we simply refuse to fix, or we haven't fixed yet. So in Minneapolis, there is a neighborhood that is low-income housing, government-provided housing called Cedar Riverside. It's overwhelmingly filled with Muslim Americans from Somalia. So you have the Cedar Riverside area in Minneapolis that is filled with Somali Muslims. Three things have happened. Number one, on the city council now, there's a guy named Ab Abdi Warsami. Abdi Warsami, he's on the Muslim, he's on the city council of Minneapolis. He is a uh, Somali Muslim. And let me tell you, three things happening there. I mean, many things are happening in Minnesota. Here are three of them. One, this Cedar Riverside area uh, has, is, as I say, all low-income housing. It's not just like one apartment building. It's many, many buildings, massive big area. I meant to look up. It's like, I don't know, it's like 40 acres, whatever. It's huge. So 
the city is paying to build a wall around the Cedar Riverside public housing. The city is paying for a wall because the people complain that they have some crime there. Okay, you know, I'm sorry about crime. I don't want crime to happen. But the city is moving to protect this community by building a wall, security gates, so that these people living in our taxpayer-funded public housing are going to have a wall and security gates. And one of the complaints of the people who wanted the wall was that there's some uh, metro stop, subway stop, on one side near their near this community and some people have the audacity to walk through the cedar riverside area over to wherever they're trying to go to some business they're complaining that non-somali muslims walk through this publicly funded cedar riverside public housing project the wall is one number two to live in these in this complex is five hundred dollars a month that's what the rent they pay five hundred dollars a month to have an apartment in a protected by the city Cedar Riverside area. There are people on waiting lists who want to get into these who are, you know, Native American. There are significant Native American populations in Minneapolis. There are also lower income families of all racial backgrounds waiting to get in to these to this housing. So people in the housing pay $500 a month if they want to leave. The, the Minnesota, Minneapolis City Council set this up for them. If they want to leave to go back to visit their homeland, go back to Somalia, or go over to, to Mecca to do their Hajj, you know, their, what they have to do, a devout Muslim has to at least once in their life if they can, the city, instead of saying, well, you're abandoning your, um, you know, your apartment, and you can't, because the people are saying they can't afford to pay rent. They can't pay the 500 a month if they want to spend money going back to Somalia to visit or to go to the Hajj. And they don't want to lose their apartments, but they can't afford to pay while they're gone. The city said, okay, for the time you're gone, it's only $75 a month. So families sit in waiting lists who would like to get in, and they can't get in because the city of Minneapolis is essentially subsidizing the Somalians living in that neighborhood, who, by the way, I'd like to point out, these are refugees. And refugee standards are supposed to be that's too dangerous where you live. You can't go back to where you live. Obviously, they're not feeling it's that dangerous. They're going back to Somalia, where they said they were had to leave, had to come to America, but they're going back there, and the city of Minneapolis is subsidizing their absence, not collecting the money they should be collecting for those apartments, leaving people on waiting lists. Last point, they're going to use city funding to build in some big parking lot nearby an African village to help them feel at home, help them feel with African uh, stores, restaurants, uh, housing, all sorts of, it's again a project to make sure they feel at home in Minneapolis. Uh, there's much more to this story at Minneapolis, but I gotta close out by saying that I gotta get to my why this matters to you, but this is Islamization. This is a surrender of our standards, our laws, in order to make the Islamic community in Minneapolis feel comfortable to protect them in ways we don't protect other people. We don't protect other people in that housing, but we do protect them. We build a wall to make sure they're safe and do not possibly have, and you talk about creating a no-go zone. This is, this is a city enabling a no-go zone 
in Minneapolis. We're after more in Minneapolis. I got to get to my why this matters to you. Folks, every day at the end of my show, I turn to telling you why the stories we talk about today matter to you. And so for today, I want to turn to though why it matters to you. Number one, our stories for today, Trump in Chicago, the police superintendent not there. Increasingly, Americans are at a time for choosing. It's time to stand up and speak up and not let people like this superintendent malign our own present. Okay, Chicago, strict gun control environment, sanctuary city, a murder rate that's the highest of any major American city. Often more people are murdered on a weekend in Chicago than are killed in mass shooting incidents. And in this environment, the Chicago police superintendent no-shows at a police union event because President Trump doesn't share his values. What exactly are the values that President Trump fails to share, I wonder, what he would say if you had to ask him. Americans do share President Trump's commitment to law enforcement. Officials everywhere need to stop bowing to political correctness, you know, the um, social justice warrior nonsense. Salmon versus the Washington Post. This is that young kid, Nick Salmon. No one, including the media, should be immune from responsibility for deliberate deceit. The Washington Post falsely denigrated an innocent teenager who was in no way a public figure. Not even the First Amendment should protect such conscious malfeasance, but calls for curtailing free speech can be dangerous. Slippery slopes on freedom of speech and press can lead to censoring and silencing of the American political conversation. Leftist lies about socialism are dangerous. Recent polling showing that 33% of American millennials would vote for a communist. This isn't harmless ignorance. It's dangerous to our future. This can drive irreversible damage to individual freedom for everyone. Socialism and communism has been mainstreamed by academia and the radical left in this country need to fix this. This is what is needed to fix this. Better education, teaching that socialism destroys liberty, opportunity, and prosperity, a reawakening to the enabling and emboldening power of liberty as a right from our creator, as it says in our declaration, is needed in America. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. President Ronald Reagan, last topic, bowing to Islamization, Supreme Court declined to hear a Christian schoolgirl's objection to being forced to do the recitation of the Islamic conversion script called the Shahada. Yet our courts routinely silence or limit Christianity. A Minnesota City Council authorizes taxpayer-funded creation of an African village, builds a wall to keep non-residents out of Somali Islamic majority public housing, can you say no go zone, and subsidizes Somalis when they travel back to Somalia and can't pay their rent. Is this state-sanctioned balkanization of America? America permits Turkey's jihadist President Erdogan to fund Muslim Brotherhood mosques in America. Friends, this is what Islamization looks like. I'm Debbie Georgias. This is America Can We Talk. Come back every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to this show, America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America? Can you-